All right, so a few other announcements before we get into the message. And by the way, uh, before we get into the message, right after these announcements, um, <clears throat> I was asked to do a, a small record, a, a small video, a short video um, for Living Water Church in Corona. They are celebrating their 30th anniversary. 30th, yeah. And so we're going to record um, just a short video. And so I'm going to do the, the, just a quick intro, turn the, my phone around as I'm recording, and then all of you, and I'll, and I'll talk to you about that when, when we get there. But anyway, let's get into the, the uh, announcements, and then we'll get to that. All right, so first of all, men's camp out. That's happening July 30th and 31st in San Gorgonio Mountains. Uh, the cost is $55 uh, per person and $40 for those under 17 that are going. So make sure men sign up today. Uh, that way we, we could get a good solid count. Can you invite others outside of the church? Absolutely. This can serve as an outreach. It's a wonderful time where we can demonstrate what the church is outside of the walls of this building. And so it would be a great opportunity. So I would encourage you to do that very thing. So men's camp out again July 30th and 31st. Uh, we also have, as we've been announcing, some ministry opportunities uh, for our security team and for... Um, <clears throat> oh, nothing for children's? Oh, that's a first. Isn't it? Okay. <laughs> well, praise God for that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. I've, I just normally go on right down, <laughs> right on to the next one. Children's ministry. But the security team needs help. So uh, men rise to the occasion and uh, make sure you sign up uh, because we have a need in the security team. Uh, we also have foundations classes, June 27th, July 11th, and July 18th. So three Sundays in a row after service is when we meet. This is the basics of, of our faith. And so anyone who is serving, this is a requirement for you to serve here. Um, it's also good for you to know where we stand as far as doctrine is concerned. And for us to know where you stand. Um, that way we, we are on the same page uh, when you're ministering, whether it be as an usher, a greeter, um, or in the children's ministry, youth, or anywhere else, that we all are walking out the same uh, perspectives, the same, we have the same stance as far as doctrine is concerned. So that's the foundations class, and that begins uh, June 27th, uh, so make sure that you sign up today. We also have women's prayer that's coming up this Saturday. That's June 19th at 8 a.m. So this Saturday, June 19th, 8 a.m., uh, ladies, make sure you, you come together. This is, this is our offensive weapon. This is where we can come together and continue to advance. And uh, prayer is absolutely powerful. So ladies, I, I encourage you to come out to that. So this Saturday at 8 a.m. All right, so one last thing before we get into the message. And that is our recording. All right, so <clears throat> what we'll do is uh, I'm going to say, uh, hey, Pastor Jerry um, and all of you at Living Water Church, uh, we just want to all here at Refuge Bible Fellowship congratulate you, and we wish you a happy 30th anniversary. All right? So after that, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you can, get, like, get excited, all right? Because this is, this is wonderful. You know what this is? You know, it's, it's uh, interesting because we were at Farmer Boy's restaurant in Corona 
uh, right there off of Lincoln. And so we went and had lunch uh, with our son, and um, I walk out, and I look across the street, and I'm like, Lydian Water? Like, I never knew it was, like, right there. Uh, it was Lincoln, and I don't know the other street, but right across the street from, from Farmer Boys. So I texted Pastor Jerry, and I'm like, hey, you know, there's this church out here. You know who the senior pastor is uh, of this church? <laughs> and, he, and he laughed, and he, uh, he said, uh, yeah, he says it, it's been the same occupant for 30 years. And so my reply, who's the occupant? Exactly. See? So I'm, I'm blessed to know that you would all answer in the same way. I just put one word, Jesus, right? Because that is the occupant. He is the head of the church. This is his church. It's not any pastor's church. That's why we need to, we all need to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. This is just a stewardship. That's all it is. And so the church belongs to Christ. And it demonstrates 30 years of his faithfulness. We are simply servants. That's all we are. We're servants. And so uh, we want to bring just great joy and encouragement to our brothers and sisters at Living Water, okay? All right, so. So I'll start out here, move around, and then, I hope you hear me, as we go into happy 30th anniversary, all right? All right. <clears throat> hey, Pastor Jerry and everyone at Living Water, uh, this is just a, a short uh, word, a few words, just to let you know uh, from Riverside, from Refuge Bible Fellowship, that we wish you a happy 30th anniversary. guys <laughs> that's fun all right that was fun huh so next time like when we close in worship that's what I'm gonna expect right there <laughs> same level of excitement <laughs> uh, you know if I did everything that I would like felt compelled to in the moment I would serve as a distraction in worship I really would. Sometimes I feel like just like drop in and like face planted because that's what I feel. That's what I sense. Um, sometimes like I almost yell at Ray at the very final portion. I was like the second song. I was like, no, I better not. <laughs> Uh, one of these days, it's going to come out. Don't get scared, people. <laughs> yeah. See, I need someone to start me off, and then we're good. Some of you I know are the same, because I hear you. It's, you start clacking, clapping on the offbeat, and then you throw everyone else off, right? <laughs> then we have to have someone on the worship te team correct us. <laughs> All right, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. 
Let's read, uh, beginning in verse 1, Romans chapter 8. In the title of this morning's message is Set Free and Proven. Set Free and Proven. Now, this is part one of of two, um, because it falls under the same title. Um, That's just the way I set it up. Uh, But the first eight verses is what we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll go through in the second portion of this uh, we'll go through uh, all, all the way through verse 17, but that'll be next week. This morning, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, we're going to read the first four verses. The Apostle Paul writes, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, we can have a humble confidence, Lord, knowing that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us here are not only confident of that, but we can recognize whether we are in Christ or not. Lord, that if we have perhaps uh, strayed from walking in the Spirit, Lord, that the conviction that you bring to us Lord, would, would draw us back to you. Lord, knowing that your kindness draws us unto you. Lord, it, it's your grace, it's your mercy, it's your compassion. I pray for those who are walking in the Spirit, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us, Lord, that this would serve as a confirmation, Lord, and an encouragement to continue walking in that manner. And I do pray, and I do ask, knowing your desire, That if there's anyone who, after self-examination, after yielding to your word, they have been found wanting. That they have felt powerless and overwhelmed by sin. That today be the day of repentance, of salvation the moment they completely give themselves to you. Because I know that you wish that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. May you teach us. May your Holy Spirit guide us in all truth. May you teach us. May you give us understanding. And Lord, may you do that surgical work that we are in desperate need of constantly as we surrender to your word. We allow you to govern us at this very moment, perhaps like never before. And so, Lord, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8. This is one of the 
great chapters in the Bible as it begins with, as we read in verse 1, no condemnation. In verse 37, at the very end, verse 39 actually, it ends with no separation. And everything in between those two verses, between verse 1 and 39, what we see communicated over and over again is that in Christ there is no defeat. We begin this morning with the first 11 verses of this chapter to learn and understand how the Holy Spirit operates within us to defeat the evil forces that are always at work against us and are always against, as they are against us, as we are in Christ, they are always against the Lord, God the Father. Paul writes about the life that is known by those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and how a new and hope-filled life is possible and made evident by the work of the Spirit who indwells each and every believer. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. With this said, I want to point out something very important. As you consider, as you perhaps in your own personal time, you read through this chapter, this is one thing that you ought to notice. That there is not one single commandment in this chapter. There's not one imperative, not one imperative command or authoritative command. It's, it's interesting, not one in the whole chapter. Why is this important? Pastor, why do you point this out? It's important to note because Paul is writing about life in the Spirit. You know, we've heard it said, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? What, what does that mean? And why is it so important for us to walk in the Spirit? This is important that there's not one authoritative command here because Paul is writing about life in the Spirit. And if a person is indeed indwelt by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit, then there is no need for a string of commandments to be laid out. Think about that. Practically speaking, you can, you can know that in just everyday living. Do you have to be reminded of rules and regulations, policies, and all of that if you are simply walking in obedience to your parents as kids? To your boss as an employee? No, absolutely not, right? When are we reminded of policies and procedures? When are we reminded of rules and regulations? Normally, you're, you're trained right at the very beginning, and, and it's not until when, when we start breaking them, right? <laughs> then there's that verbal warning, written warning, retraining, right? You know, Galatians 5.23 says this, Against such things there is no law, referring to the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because these things are according to God's word, according to God's law, according to his commandments. But a person who has a desire and passion for pleasing God will pay attention to the conviction and the overall work of the Spirit in their lives. 
the, the move of the Spirit, we'll begin to understand, we'll begin to see how God works, we'll begin to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we'll desire to do those things that bring glory to God. It will be evident in the individual that the Spirit is indwelling them but by what they're given to, devoted to, committed to, who they are committed and devoted to. Remember, the chapter begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation, and throughout, the message of this chapter is no defeat. It's repeated, not only in this chapter, but it's seen throughout the Bible. This is something invaluable for you to remember. Especially when you experience some of life's greatest challenges. When monumental difficulties and temptations present themselves to you. And they will. As you live, this will help you know that abundant life in Christ that he promises to those who are in Christ it will help you set your mind on heavenly things, supply you with the courage necessary to keep going as you fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith. This is invaluable. No condemnation, no separation. There's no defeat. I, I titled this message Set Free and Proven because those in Christ are indeed set free from the power of sin and death. And their new set-free lives in Christ are proven in mind, spirit, and in action. And that's what we'll see. We're going to touch on two in, in the first eight verses. Number one, being set free. And number two, a set mind. Let's begin again by reading the first point, set free. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, set free. Now, I do want to point something out from the very beginning. It's kind of like a, a I, I, wanted, I want it to be just a note for us. Because some of your translations may have the additional words in verse 1. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I don't want to ignore that. I want to make sure that we address that. And I want you to know that these words are not found in the earliest manuscripts of the book of Romans. Furthermore, if we, if we, read, if we look at this, they also do not agree with the flow of the context. And let me explain that. Let me put it to you this way. There is either... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus with no personal condition. There's no condition. In other words, the removal of condemnation is not based on 
whether afterwards we are known to walk in the Spirit or not. Okay? So it's either that, meaning there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus with no personal condition, or our salvation is conditional on whether we walk according to the Spirit. Understand? For me, it's easy to understand. And, and, and I'll, I'll bring it out a little more because it's believed that these words were added later by, by a copyist who thought they were, quote-unquote, helping by adding this to match the wording in chapter 8, verse 4. Just three verses later. But there's a distinction between the two. There's, there's something that, again, the earlier manuscripts did not include this, and so therefore... It's withdrawn, and that's why. That's, that's the reason why. So, we begin with the declaration in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word therefore is there, and we need to know what, what it's there for. If you look at the preceding chapters, we will know what it's there for. Since, in chapter 5, verse 1, we have been justified by faith. Since, as it says in chapter 6, verse 11, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Since, as it says in chapter 7, verse 4, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. There's therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is, this is a declaration of reality, of truth. It's a, a declaration of humble confidence before the Lord. Confidence that a person is indeed in Christ Jesus, and therefore we are not condemned. God does desire that a person be genuinely confident that they belong to him. They don't want a believer going around. He doesn't want a believer going around wondering, doubting whether they are saved or not. There's a way in which we can be sure of our salvation. If someone asks you, hey, are you saved? Do you have the hope uh, of, of heaven, of being with God the Father? We can with certainty, we should say, absolutely, I know. We need to recognize and respond to the Good Shepherd's voice. We need to know that we belong to him. The question is, for us, is do we? Do we have that confidence? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13.
So there's much that the Apostle Paul covered. This is the final chapter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And so everything that he covered previously is kind of summarized in this because asking them to examine themselves. And and we're going to read it. That way we get a, a good understanding of what the Apostle Paul is writing here in conclusion to his second letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. In these verses, it says that there is, uh, we, we, we notice that there's a warning to not continue sinning with knowledge. In other words, once you come to understand, once you come to know the truth and that you are sinning, there's a warning, don't continue. Secondly, there's an admonishment to examine and test oneself to make sure that they were in the faith. The the Apostle Paul, this is a word that's written to the church today. Examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. There is an exhortation to do what is right. Listen, we, we all have the inclination, we all want to pass the buck or blame someone else for our own actions. We can't do that. Even here, what we see is that you are to do what is right, even when it seems as if others are not. There's no excuse. We will be personally accountable for our own actions. We can't blame our our sin or our behavior on anyone or anything else. And then he said, your restoration is what we pray for. This this is what God desires, a personal restoration with God through Christ and a restoration with others, according to verse 11. And by doing so, he says, "You, you comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul, the Lord above all, desires that we be set free, that we walk 
in the freeness and the liberty that comes as we walk in the Spirit. If you are in Christ and can claim these truths with confidence, then you can confidently say that you are in Christ and you are indeed set free. There is therefore no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. We can make that statement with confidence as we think about what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Those things ought to be behind us. We ought to be moving forward. We, we ought to allow the Lord to examine our hearts so that his word, as it says in Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that verse. Why? Because it's by his word that he'll reveal to us exactly where we're standing. And that his word is what determines whether we're standing in the right place or not. It's his word. It, it'll be revealed to you by, by no one else. If it contradicts where you stand according to his word, it, it's a contradiction and it's opposing the truth of God's word. But then he says in the second part of that verse, and it's a light to my path. Oh, I, I love that. In the midst of darkness, we can have that lamp to tell us where we stand and then that light that goes down that path. Walk this way, son, daughter. Come with me. Oh, what freedom there is when we know that we're walking in the light. You know, in verse 1, what we see is a declaration that we are set free from the guilt of sin. And in verse 2, there's a declaration that we are set free from the power of sin and death. In verses 3 and 4 point out that God did what we could have never accomplished by the flesh by observing the law. Now, the law is holy and righteous. And I read this in a commentary which referred to this. Now, the law is holy, good, and righteous. We know that. And, and is it able to instruct us, to teach us, to guide us, to correct us? Absolutely all of those things. So well, then why doesn't it have the power to save us? Well, it was interesting, this illustration. You know, the sun gives light. But to the blind person, that light is not effective. It cannot do what God's grace in the person can only do through Jesus Christ. He is only, the only one that can remove those scales and make the blind see. It's by his grace. Listen, <clears throat> we can never rehabilitate the flesh. Have you ever tried doing that? I have. And that's exhausting. Let's try and make the flesh better. Let's try and do it in our own power, right? You know, if you've, go, if you've gone and sat under some motivational speakers and, uh, and, and listened to them, uh, self-help books, that's what that is. It's, it's all in the power of the flesh. And it is tiring.
What could the law not do? The law could not defeat sin. What could the law do? I love this. It can't defeat sin, but it can detect sin. Reveal it to us. But who has defeated sin? Jesus on the cross. Jesus came, as it says here, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but was not sinful himself. He was the unblemished Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. We can refer to Isaiah 9.6, and if you're taking notes, jot this down, Isaiah 9.6, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Colossians 2.9, and John chapter 1, verse 14, including 1 John 1, 1 through 4. You know, John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, in verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Like, that, that statement for sin in verse 3 is more clearly understood by rephrasing it to more accurately uh, reflect the original language, which means for a sin offering. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we look at those two words, for sin, it, it more clearly, we can more clearly understand it by rephrasing that to, to say, for a sin offering. For you and I, this is our substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ died for you and me. He was the sin offering. The shed blood of Christ atoned for our sins, covers us, and as Christ fulfilled the law, we in him know his righteousness, and death passes over us. How do we know that we are in Christ and we personally know his grace? Well, is your life pattern according to the flesh or the spirit? In other words, do you consist, consistently follow the things of the Spirit that leads you in truth or follow the things of the flesh? C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Observe carefully that the flesh is there. So we acknowledge it. The, the flesh is there. He goes on to say, He does not walk after it, but it is there. It is there, striving and warring, vexing and grieving, and it will be there till he is taken up into heaven. It is there as an alien and detested force and not there so as to have dominion over him. He does not walk after it nor practically obey it. He does not accept it as his guide nor allow it to drive him into rebellion. Close quote. A, a wonderful quote by C.H. Spurgeon who as, as I read that, I thought, you know, that's awesome. You know, for, for, the, for the believer who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, have you ever seen someone who is so disciplined in whatever it is that they've given themselves to, whether it be sports or anything else, that no matter what's going on around them, they're in the zone? Like, they're just there, they're... They don't hear anything else. I remember playing baseball. And there were times when my coach would put me into pitch. 
no outs, we're, de- we're, we're up by one, bases loaded, and, uh, and it's the, for us in Little League, it would be the bottom of the seventh, you could say. And, and, I, and, and I remember those times, and it was as if I heard no one in the stands. I heard no one. And it was just, I, I remember my coach, which he, which he has, he's gone home to be with the Lord. And he would tell me, we're all just rock and fire. It's just you and the catcher. That's all it is. You and the catcher. Now, did it happen every time? No. But there were those games where all I could see is that catcher's glove and the signs. That's all I saw. That's how we need to be. Not that nothing's happening around us. But being so focused on the Lord that we are not distracted by the flesh. We are not distracted by the world. We're not distracted by anything else. We're just focused on the prize, Jesus Christ, and blessing and glorifying him. In Christ, there is no condemnation. And in Christ, we are free from the power of sin. And in Christ, we walk according to the Spirit. So number one, set free. Number two, a set mind. Verse five, as we continue, says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A set mind. Here's how we can determine if our life pattern demonstrates if it is according to the spirit or according to the flesh. Where's your mindset? Do you trust the things of the flesh over the things of the spirit? The fleshly things, the earthly things, the philosophies of the world. What or who do you go to for the answers to life and godliness? Is it the world or Jesus Christ? This is another verse that for me, I refer to often. 2 Peter 1.3. When I need a reminder of this, I go to this verse. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Who do you go to for the answers to life and godliness? His word is sufficient. And and that's the question we ought to ask. Is God's word enough? Do we know how to navigate through it and discern when and how to apply it? to our lives. And that's not something for you to answer for someone else. Something for you to answer for yourself. 
this is not an exercise to strengthen your self-righteous perspective, but to serve as an exercise of self-examination and humility. Oh, how often I'm humiliated in my own time with the Lord. I, I am brought low and he is brought high. Often, daily. Because God desires that the believer set their minds on the things of the Spirit so that they may know and enjoy life in peace. Why is it important that the mind be set according to the Spirit? This is, this is something that is emphasized here. Why? Because the mind is the battleground upon which the struggle for the heart is either won or lost. I'm going to repeat that because this is very important. Because the mind is the battleground upon which the struggle for the heart is either won or lost. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense, yield to the truth of God's word over worldly philosophies or personal thoughts that would make sense to us but are contrary to the word of God. Because that is the will of God. Jot down Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the word of God. Jot it down, look at it, study it, live it. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is, this is God speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, there's... A great relief in those verses. There is. When you think you have to have it all figured out, you can just lean back and trust in the Lord and go to his word. He's got it all figured out. We can trust in him. Let's also look at Matthew chapter 16. You know, sometimes we, we look at situations and we make decisions based on what seems right to us. It seems only logical. And I want to give you example, an example of this. This is in the life of someone you know very well, the Apostle Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Did Peter mean well? He meant well. He did. He meant well. I have no doubt that Peter meant well. 
But can we notice, can we focus, please, on what Jesus said? His response is important. Because he had some very strong words for Peter. Can we agree with, on that? Get behind me, Satan? Wow. I, I, I mean, coming from the Son of God, what can be worse? And he told him these things because he said, Peter, you have not set your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The battle is in the thought world. He was talking about the mind. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In other words, when we're strong in the Lord, when we're mature in his word, when we know his word well, that serves as the filter through which we, re we either subject that word to the obedience of Christ, or we recognize that that is an obedience to Christ. We yield to him. This is one of those sections of scripture to where we know that our, warf our warfare is not earthly. It's not carnal. But the warfare is for our minds. This is why the Apostle Paul refers to our thoughts in the mind. What, what do we do with them? It's important that we be disciplined in that. This is why it is so important to set our minds on the things of the spirit. Now, going back to, to Romans, Paul goes on to further describe the contrast between the flesh and the spirit in verses 6 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you set your minds on the things of the flesh, you will know... Death, death to many things and on many different levels. Death and destruction will come. But if you set your minds on the things of the Spirit, you will know life and peace. Paul, let, let me make something very clear. Paul is not referring to never experiencing pain, suffering, grief, loss, but is referring to relying on the world to the or for the satisfaction of those things. That's what he's referring to. Relief or enlightening will only come through Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will give lasting relief through it all. You know, you know in Matthew chapter 11, don't take my word for it, Jesus said this in Romans, or I mean Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, don't think that the world will give you this. It never will. Never will. And some of us have discovered this the hard way. We've gone to the world and we've tried to, to find it there. But the only one that can give us rest and peace and life is Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Perhaps in your translation it says the carnal mind is enmity against God. Hostile to God. Opposing God. The flesh does not want the flesh and its desires to be crucified. And will fight against the spirit. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember I said the flesh cannot be rehabilitated? This is what you must do with the flesh. Just nail it. Consider it nailed with Christ on the cross. It's dead. Wow, that was a... Lord, thank you for that illustration. That's dead. But that's what we ought to do. Sometimes we think that part of the flesh can just linger and we'll be able to manage it. Can't do that. Got to crucify it. Along with its passions, its desires. If you're struggling with sin, perhaps it's because your flesh has not been crucified with Christ. And I don't mean an, an everyday struggle. Every, everyone struggles every day with sin in some way, shape, or form. I'm talking about habitual sin. You know what I'm referring to. The things that we know ought, we ought not do and, and we do them and, and it's just habitual sin. Those are the things that I'm referring to. This is what's being referenced here. If you cannot help yourself but to fulfill your fleshly desires, then allow the Lord to examine your heart. Perhaps this morning, it, what needs to happen is you need to confess your sins to the Lord and you need to make a recommitment to the Lord. Do you know that peace and life in Christ? Are you still struggling with the flesh overwhelmingly? Know this, it is because you have a mind set on the things of the flesh and not set on the spirit. Those who are in the flesh are dead and remain condemned. Are enemies of God, and it says here, it cannot submit to God's word and cannot please God. Is your mind set on the things of the spirit or the flesh? So set free and a set mind, and I want to close with this. As I've been saying it throughout the message, that this is a time of self-examination. This is what it requires. It requires humility on our part to subject ourselves to the examination. Examination by God's word, 
of our hearts and of our minds. The one who knows you is the one who also is beckoning you to come, to yield to him, to know that peace and rest that can only be found in Jesus Christ. This is what's been happening this whole time that we've been going through the word. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13 says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Are you set free and proven? Are you experiencing life and peace in Christ? I pray that you are not hostile toward God and overwhelmed by the flesh. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in John 10, 10, Jesus said that he has come That we may have life and that more abundantly, right? It's our Lord. Are you walking in the spirit? Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, we are truly thankful for your grace, Lord, for your love. Lord, I know that you, according to your word, do not desire for us to live in constant battle with the flesh. that is in habitual sin, but you desire, Lord, that we would be walking in peace with you. Lord, that we would know salvation because your word tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has been overwhelmed by the flesh, I pray, Father, that you would help them to surrender to you e even right now, whether they're watching online or they're sitting here in this building, Lord, or anywhere listening to the podcast, Father, that this moment would be the moment of salvation. The miracle of a moment is, is salvation when we have come to know that you have forgiven us of all of our sins, Lord, that we have known victory over the flesh, sin and death, in Christ Jesus, who was crucified for us, who was our substitutionary atonement for our sins. And we are at rest in Christ. We are no longer heavy laden. May today be the day of salvation. For those who need to recommit their lives, Father, I pray that they do not hesitate that this, moment, this very moment, your word tells us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may this moment be a, a moment of humility, simply acknowledging you and asking for your forgiveness and allowing you to lead, to guide. I pray, I pray for a strengthening of the church, Lord. 
that you would build us up, that we would be strong in Christ. And it would be evident by our lives that we love you and we want to bring you glory. And so, Father, have mercy on us. May your spirit fall upon us. May you be blessed and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.